This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, serving adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll need a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and will inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, and get this, it comes with a lifetime warranty. It's the pump we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Visit them at CyclePump.com. That's CyclePump.com. Welcome back to another episode of Adventure Rider Radio. And I'll tell you, it feels really good to be sitting here in the studio again, in the seat again, talking to you. Anyway, I was going to mention to you, we just got a press release from Best Rest, and you probably know at this point, we love Best Rest products, really great stuff. Um, they've got a new pump out now called the Expedition Pump, which I think was the same as the same name as what they had on the old pump. But anyway, the new pump now has, at the very least, it's got these two rubber ends that sort of encapsulate the pump and do away with those sharp edges that the old one had. Really cool looking device. So check that out. Anyway, that's my tip for you today. But on today's episode, we've got something that we think is going to maybe give you a little spark. Maybe if you're the type of person that finds that your life is busy, a lot of us, you know, that's that's life. Life is busy and you can't find a gap in your life or you can't find a place to fit in a motorcycle adventure. Maybe any adventure, but let's say motorcycle adventure. Well, the couple we're going to talk to today, they're originally from the UK. They moved to Australia and lived there for quite some time, 12 years, and then they decided to move back to the UK. But instead of doing what we would normally do, taking all your stuff from your house and packing it all up and throwing it into a trailer or throwing it into a moving van or a U-Haul truck or something like that and sending it off, what they did was they decided to ride their motorcycles home. And they took that window, that natural window, that moving window that you're forced to do, maybe extended it a little bit on both sides and decided to make it a motorcycle adventure. Now think about that. Do you have something coming up this summer, like, you know, a wedding or a family get together or something that you're maybe even a business trip, but something you're sort of forced to do that maybe you can extend, maybe you can squeeze in a motorcycle adventure, you know, turn it into a proper adventure, so to speak. Well, maybe this story will, will give you a little spark and, and maybe give you an insight into what can be done with a little bit of time. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Brian Field. Justin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed Mark. Glenn Hickstead. Woody from Woody's Wheelworks. Bennett Smith. Gregory Frey. Dave Barr. Michelle Lanfield. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schwartz. Brett Cox. Zoe Cannell. Nathan Millwall. Nathan Colbatch. Joe Rush. Christelle Bayer-Vajou. Lawrence Hacking. Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Susan Johnson. Larry Clyde. Robert Wicks. Spencer Conway. Ted Simon. Elizabeth Martin. Lisa. Nita. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Aerostitch.com forward slash ARR. And as usual, use that ARR to let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. And of course, anytime you're dealing with any of the companies that we talk about, let them know you heard them here on the show. Um, it lets them know it's working for them. Now, I want you to go to the website and click on the uh, in the jacket section. Let me see. You go to jackets and pants and then go to accessories. Go to suit accessories. Now, this is, this is an impressive thing, I think. First of all, do you know how important a back pad is for your jacket? If your jacket doesn't have one, I'd be looking for a different jacket. But they have these accessories that go with all of their jackets and, and they've got their, their Aerostitch TF3 standard back pad. 
that is a nice back pad. That's the one that I'm using right now. It is really quite nice. But one of the, th the neat things here is even as simple as a camera mount system, do you realize they've got a camera mount system for their jacket? So you can put your GoPro right on your chest and rather than wearing the, the big chest harness, which tends to pull your jacket in really tight. This is really cool. So they've got the, um, they've got the AeroStitch uh, TF3 hip impact uh, pads. They've got the, uh, the impact armor for the shoulders. And I'll tell you, if your jacket and your pants don't have half-decent armor, or a lot of times they have no armor in them at all, I would definitely start thinking of another jacket. And if you are, look at AeroStitch. Because remember, if you use that code at AeroStitch, you're going to get 10% off your first order, which is a, a nice chunk of money. And if you're an existing customer, you're going to get free shipping in the U.S. Either way, it's a win-win situation. AeroStitch.com forward slash ARR. And of course, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Will Wilkins and Kate McDonnell come from the UK originally. They moved to Australia, lived there for about 12 years, and then decided through a series of events that they're going to move back home. But instead of doing the standard move of throwing their things into a moving van and taking a flight and going home that way, they decided to turn it into a motorcycle adventure. And a motorcycle adventure it became as they rode their two motorcycles 15,000 miles through 20 countries getting back to the UK. And get this, Kate was a fairly new rider to begin with. So to her, it was all brand new and her riding skills were sort of in baptism through fire, if you could say. They wrote a book on it, and the book has got rave reviews, five-star ratings on Amazon, which says something about it. The book is called Wollongong to Woolwich, and if you didn't get the title of the book just now, I'll stick around. We're going to give you a link as well. So Kate and Will are back in the UK. They're settled in. It is their new home. Down on the south coast of England in a town called Southampton. Now nestled into Southampton, they're not full-time motorcyclists. They they go to real jobs. Will has a corporate job that he goes to every day. I'm a project manager on large-scale corporate events. And Kate does what she did in Australia. She works as a vet. Um, I'm a vet nurse, so I'm currently working down in a, a little practice down here. I've just, just started a, a week ago at a little place. Now, even though this trip was extremely stressful at times, as you're going to hear today, they're actually still married. They've been married for... Been married for 20 years wow. together for 20 years can't remember married for 10 can't really remember <laughs> okay okay will don't look at kate when is your anniversary <laughs> don't look at kate august the 22nd <laughs> um very impressive and we got married in 2004 wow that's really that's good impressive is that a tattoo exactly <laughs> 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 will and kate welcome to adventure rider radio thank, thank you, you. The basic premise of your story is that you did a five-month motorcycle adventure and you were living in Australia and basically you were homesick and you, you headed home and that's what the motorcycle adventure was all about. But let's back up to just before that. Now, I know you did a real short planning um, as far as your motorcycle trip. What were you doing in Australia? Um, we we'd lived there for 12 years. And um, so I was doing the same uh, project managing on events and Kate was uh, vet nursing. And they uh, yeah, decided it was time to go. I want to definitely stress that there's nothing wrong with Australia at all. Uh, we just fancied, we're both English, and we fancied coming back here for a while and doing the, the Europe thing. And um, 
Yeah, we, it was a quite a short prep time of probably two or three months while we were packing up, the, selling the house and selling all our stuff. I mean, I know other people have done it a lot quicker than that. Um, but uh, yeah, we, I would certainly advocate you don't need a year or anything to do um, to do a big trip. You're in Australia for 12 years. That's a long time. Like, obviously, you got really settled there. And what is it? There must have been something that you see an advertisement on television or something for travel <laughs> in the UK. What, what was it that sort of sparked that thing of, I want to go home? I think we, um, we came back to the UK quite a few times whilst we were there uh, to, to visit family and friends. And, um, and there'd been a break probably of about, I think, three years that we hadn't been back. And we went back that summer, and we we came we came back to the UK that summer just for a, you know a short three week holiday, and I think we both thought, wow, actually we actually really like it here, and and fancy just fancy staying. Um, so that's when we went we went back to Australia in the August, and by the February we had um, packed up and left for good. I um. The best way I could try and um, explain it to people, so I'd describe living in Australia as having a favourite meal every day. You know, like say it's spaghetti bolognese and uh, you got it and it's delicious and the next day, oh, great, spaghetti bolognese and the next day, great, spaghetti bolognese. And after a bit, and Australia does offers what it offers you and it does it really, really well. But um, it's a bit lacking on you know, certain areas, some of the cultural stuff and history stuff, a bit sketchy. And um, yeah, I, it's crazy. I used to sit there on the internet, looking on the cheap, you know, bucket shop flights over in Europe, going, oh, God, this weekend we could have gone to Rome for, you know, £28.50. And uh, you're sitting in Australia thinking, this is nuts. Let's just go back there and then we can go to Rome, which we actually haven't. It's interesting that you say that because I'll bet before you left England and went to Australia, you were probably uh, gung-ho about it. Like you said, it was it looked like the ultimate destination and you figure you're just going to go and never look back. There's a, a, a gentleman I'm sure you know uh, called Graham Field, who his, his whole book uh, was entitled The Grass is Always Greener. And uh, yeah, it's no truer statement. So you decide, OK, well, you, you want to go home. And the motorcycle thing just seems like an unlikely way to sell your house, pack up your gear and go home. I mean, let's face it, it's not very normal. Usually people would arrange with a moving company, maybe put it in a container and ship it. And Will, I know you had been riding for quite some time, but Kate, you were fairly new. I was, yeah. I'd I'd wanted to do my test for, for a year. I wanted to learn to ride a, a motorbike for years, but one reason or another, I'd never got round to it. And I think probably in the back of my mind, I just, I wanted to do a trip like this on a motorbike. That that was really my reason for um, for learning to ride a bike, I, I wasn't really interested in just using it as a, a commuting tool or, you know, going off on day trips. And um, and it was actually my my younger sister who um, I I think I saw her on, on Facebook. She uh, back she was back in the UK and she she'd passed her bike test. And I thought, right, that's it. She's done it. I'm going to do it. I'm not going to be outdone. Um, so yeah, I uh, bought a little. A little bike, the XT250, and um, and did my test, and I think it was I can't actually remember when I when I did my test, but it was definitely less than a year, probably six months before we left that I got my license. So yeah, not not a great deal of experience. 
So you're you're basically a brand new rider. You're starting to get the feel of riding your motorcycle, and then you guys decide you're going to move back to the UK. Who comes up with the harebrained idea of loading your stuff on a motorcycle? <laughs> I've been following. Yeah, I mean, I've... Will I have to admit? I got to give you credit. You spoke right up there. That was great. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, Helgi Pedersen, I think his name is. Yeah, ten years on two wheels. That big glossy coffee table table book. I've had that for for yonks and. Um, so it's, the idea has always been in my mind, but I never actually, when we said we were going back to England, I never thought, oh, this will be the opportunity. It was actually a, a random email from a mate. Well, I'd emailed him and said, oh, we're coming back. And he just absentmindedly said, oh, oh, have a nice ride. And I read it and I went to Kate. Hey, look, look at this. Yeah, he just said, have a nice ride. How about that? And um, I think I think that's how it was born. I don't know. <laughs> Can't yeah. actually remember. It was no, yeah. um, there was... It, don't know it just sort of happened Kate um yeah again you kind of lose track of how how these things um develop in the first place but yeah as I say it was something I I wanted to do a a big trip like this and I was always looking at um other people's blogs of you know big journeys that they'd done so it was something that was itching at me to do and um and as and Will sort of mentioned it after he got this email, and that was it. I thought, right, this is this is my chance. Uh, we've got to do this. You know, we've got no no reason not to. Really, we're we we're leaving, packing up, leaving Australia, heading back to the UK. No no um, schedule or nothing that we had to be back for. So we had plenty of time and um, no ties. So what 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 better time to do it? It is strange, though. I mean, when you think of moving, most people think of van, pickup truck, that sort of thing. Uh, not yes. so often motorcycles. I mean, it's an odd thing to do. It is. We didn't have the washing machine strapped on the back. Oh, so, well, uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I tell you what, it's quite a good cleansing process, um, moving from one side of the planet to the other, because um, you can't take all of that stuff that you've accumulated. And when you're down on, onto a bike and you've just got you know, panniers and a roll bag, and that's it. Um, it's you have to get rid of everything and get it all down to a minimum, and maybe um, just. I mean, we sent a kind of a van load of stuff back via freight, and um, so half of that's still sitting in the garage. We haven't even looked at it five years later. So it's uh, that was that that was the creme de la creme of our of our um, of our stuff. So uh, maybe it just means we don't want it or need it. Yeah, that's always the thing, isn't it? You, you find that you store stuff. You're paying to store it, and you got to wonder why. What's the point? Like, how, where, where does yeah. where does the value of storage exceed the value of the stuff that you're storing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Been there. You know, I, I want to talk about planning your your trip next, but um, I'm sort of curious. What did you leave behind? Everything. Oh, what, in terms well, no, I don't, I'm not talking possessions thing? because that doesn't really mean anything. But I mean, what did you leave behind? What when you left Australia? What were you sort of giving up, or or what were you walking away from, or what do you feel like you may miss? Oh, I mean, we had a we had a fantastic house there, and and, and a, a good life, really. You know, we were living by the beach. Um, I had a nice little job in a vet practice down the road. Uh, and we had, you know, friends, um, although we kind of, all our friends had sort of dispersed, gone to different locations. So we were all living quite a, a distance apart in the end. So, um, no. I, I think the question's the other way around. It's, um, 
yeah, there's lots of fantastic um, aspects of living there. So the friends in the house and the money that we were earning and everything it was great. But um, there must have been something that we felt was missing. I think that's what the uh, and I can't answer that. Uh, what but I think that's more what it was that you go. We were kind of off searching for something else, something that wasn't apparently available in Australia. And I guess we hoped it would be available if we went back to England. I guess I guess that's more like like you say, the material things don't matter at all. It was something. Uh, but no, nothing. I can't say there was some uh, something you know, if that we were chasing. Uh, no goals. I used to work with someone years ago who had a always had a five-year goal, and it kind of rolled on. She always had to have something that she was heading for in five years' time. Well, no, I'm really got anything that I'm heading for. So, um, kind of quite unaspirational like that. And um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe yeah, mate. You go. I guess something was was missing. Yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. So you, you decide to, that's it, you're going to go, you're leaving all this behind. And and by the way, Will, you mentioned the grass is greener on the other side. And I, when you were saying that, I, I just couldn't help but but picture you jumping the fence, the both of you, and, and in this green grassy field, and then staring back over the fence and going, you know, it's really, really green over there where we just came from <laughs> and heading back. And, and I believe that the term for that, uh, I may be mistaken, but I, I believe they call that wanderlust. Yeah, that's. I think that's the romantic term for it because, um, you know, you know, these when you're coming up with your name for your blogs and all these, you know, books and stuff, it's kind of like you, know, you know, this wanderlust or you, know, um, but you know, you start. Well, actually, you can translate that into you just kind of um, sort of constantly searching. You know, are you, is it, are you a lost soul? Uh, I don't know. It depends. I don't want to get heavy on this, but it's uh, if you if you're always kind of looking for something else and not living in the now and moving on and always thinking of the next opportunity, you could translate that to be that you're not actually enjoying uh, the present. Or is it that um, things become common to you and um, you're looking to explore, you know, and yes. that, that sort of has a, has a more active sound to it. It, it, yes, it does. Yeah, no, I'm not. Uh, there's, I don't, I haven't got it straight in my head what it is. It's a mixture of everything, but you definitely, um, I guess, yeah. I mean, the stuff that Australia had to offer when we first got there, we bought a Land Rover and did a year and um, driving right round. So we did, we kind of, I won't say we'd done it, but we uh, we experienced uh, the outback and all the four wheel driving and that kind of stuff. So that was kind of one of the big ticket items that people would be commonly. Um, uh, hankering for, we'd kind of like um, had a good, uh, had hadn't had a gutful of it, still enjoyed it, but we'd had a, a good experience doing that. So maybe, um, yeah. So go just going back to the why why we left is just going looking for other things, other things in life. So you decide you're going to go, and then you plan this trip, which is a motorcycle trip. So there's a lot more to think about here than just moving. What did you start to do, and, and how did you come up with your timeline? Did you actually say that that's it, we're going to have you know two months of planning, and then we're going to go, or did you base it on the time the house sold, or how did you do it? Uh, yeah. The, yeah, the departure was, I guess, still a house selling, and yeah. um, I can't really remember how all that works, but what, yeah, why you start that? The, the Australia house selling process is really good. You kind of know, you know how long it's going to take um, the whole marketing campaign, and then it goes to auction. So it's not this kind of thing which is going to roll on and on. Why we started it exactly at that time? Probably looking at the weather, I think, for getting through 
places like yeah, yeah the, right, the passes yeah. in Pakistan and not getting yeah. too hot you know, through the middle there. And my niece was getting married in, in the July, back in the English summer. So we wanted to be back for that. And I remember I originally did a schedule. Was one of the first ideas was I was going to ride because Kate still had work. And I was going to just, um, she was going to carry on working. I was going to head off and I was going to do it in two months. And uh, then I sat down with a cup of tea and worked out that that just was not possible. And um, unless you're going like a nutter. And then we decided, oh, the cake could just finish off and we'd go together and spend about about six months was the uh, or maximum six to get back for this wedding. But um, yeah, I did a little spreadsheet. gets guessing how long you'd spend in each country, roughly. Yeah, and we're like in Australia, out on the those big roads, you can yeah, like four or five hundred kilometers in a day, no problem. Once you're into India, how much ground you're going to cover? Don't really know. Look to other people's blogs, try to work it out. You know, cars or motorbikes, they'll travel about the same speed, and got it reasonably right but i mean we kept adjusting so you can keep patting yourself on the back if you want to but it was uh, we got back on, on for the wedding so that was good how did you choose your route uh, i i don't think we did to, i think we were oh, apart from well we didn't we, had, yeah, we, <laughs> we hadn't really we hadn't um, decided when we left yeah because the pakistan question um the western provinces of pakistan we had a friend of a friend who'd been working out there on a un study and uh, uh, these tribal areas in Baluchistan and um, near the Iranian border. And she said, don't go there. And if, you, if you're hell-bent on going, you'll, you, when you enter Pakistan, you'll go through Lahore. Uh, I've got a friend there. They'll get you a gun. Don't go there without the gun. Mm-hmm. Um, what am I going to do? I don't know what to do with a gun. So, uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, we hadn't actually decided our route. Um, Nathan Millwood had gone... Had, basically done the same but more the year before he'd gone up into east timor and a lot around indonesia so we we missed all of that bit because of the weather island hopping through there would have been bad um we didn't do we just straight up through thailand barely barely saw any of that and we didn't do any of the stuff in cambodia or laos just because we knew it would take too long we'd go back and do that another time um so apart from yeah, we diverted up the KKH at a Karakoram in, uh, into China in the end. Um, we decided to not do that western side of Pakistan. I don't know whether it's the right decision or not, but that's what we decided. So that's the quickest way is to go, yeah, India, Pakistan, Iran, Turkey. So we only added a few thousand kilometres onto that. You, you said you you were sort of whipping through. Did you? Is that how you approached the whole thing? Were you travelling quite fast? Um. Yeah, I guess we were really. I mean, we didn't stop, um, you know, for for days on end in in places. We were we were generally moving on day after day. We'd stop in certain places if we needed to get visas. So, um, you know, in in Delhi, we stopped for a week so we could gather some visas together, and again in Lahore. Um, but other than that, yeah, generally just a night and night in each place and and moving on so yeah not not having a a, a great uh, look around it was uh but the trip the purpose was the trip was to we are riding our motorbikes back to england to be back there for manise's wedding uh rather than uh chucking in our jobs and chucking everything in to go off exploring the world 
Yeah. yeah uh, so some people might have spent you know, two years doing, covering the ground that we covered. But yeah, our trip had a, um, in, in inverted commas, a purpose. Yeah, we were, we, it was taking us back to England. So we weren't looking to uh, you know, really explore and uh, look into, yeah, whatever we saw on the way, fantastic. But we weren't going to really take any diversions to go and see some fantastic uh, you know, national park or a temple or something like that. Just whatever we gathered along the way would have to do. We knew but, that we weren't into um, spending years on the road. It's just not 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 what we like to do. You know, we we, we like to go travelling for a few months and then and then be back home again. So we wanted to to limit the time so that um, you know we didn't get uh, fed up of the trip. Basically, we wanted to to keep it short and yeah. That year around Australia in the in the Land Rover after six months, we had to um, we we got to Perth and we rented a, a house. And got some jobs. We had money in the bank, but we just just wanted some normality. Um, so we kind of guessed that about six months would be about our limit for this trip. And um, we actually had a couple of I'd researched a couple of get out uh, places along the way. You know, India, I found some shippers there, and a couple of other ones. So if we had had enough, just for whatever reason, we could have just pulled the plug and stuck the bikes on a freighter and jumped on a plane. GiantLoopMoto.com is a website. They're the exclusive North American importer for Rally Raid products for the Honda CB500, kits, parts, and accessories, the whole bit. Um, we covered that a couple of episodes ago, but really what they're known for is incredibly durable, waterproof bags. And if you go to their website, GiantLoopMoto.com, and, and by the way, anytime you're dealing with them, let them know you heard them here, of course, on Adventure Rider Radio, but go to their products, look at the Columbia Dry Bag. You want to see something cool. I doubt you've come across something like this before. The Columbia Dry Bag is, is like a, a big dry bag like you would expect, except that it opens at both ends. That's really amazing for motorcycling because I'll tell you what I would like to do with this is I could pretty much leave it strapped on or sitting under the bike, fastened to the bike and open up the ends and pull stuff out. I don't need to dig through and empty the entire bag. So if you're organized with your packing, you put stuff at one end, like your clothes, you put your other things at your other end, like maybe your toiletries, and you don't have to rip through the entire thing to get everything out. It's a, a top bag. It's 70 liters, 100% waterproof. And this is the thing with Giant Loop. That's what they're known for. Really tough, waterproof dry bags that really hold on well. They've got great strapping systems. GiantLoopMoto.com. And when you check out, use the promo code ARR. And you know that means Adventure Rider Radio. Of course, that will get you free shipping within the U.S. Now, the reason you may want to consider shopping at the Good Adventure Company, especially when it comes to your soft luggage, um, hide now tires, things like that, is because what they do is they sell products and they put the profits to sustainable charities, like helping it's Lost for a Reason, for instance, or they're working on this current project. It's a boarding school in Batopilas, Mexico. So it's really neat. You get to buy your product and you get to help somebody at the same time. It doesn't cost you any more money. They're also doing motorcycle adventure tours, and they've just started doing them recently. They've had incredible reviews from the first one they did. They've got one coming up called the Navajo Great Adventure. It's May 16th to 20th. It starts in Cortez, Colorado, and it ends at Overland Expo in Flagstaff, Arizona. I think that's really cool. That is a great way for you to kick off if you're going to the Overland Expo. What a way to do it. Go on one of these adventures first. And and by the way, these adventures are doing the same thing. They're raising money to help charities. They've also got one August 6th to 12th, um, the Colorado Backcountry Expedition. They're also planning... Uh, 
uh, a Copper Canyon Adventures for November 2016, January, and February of 2017. They sell what they ride with. They're really big into soft luggage. They got Wolfman and Durastan and Giant Loop. They do free shipping on most items as well. And use the promo code ARR, and uh, that may get you an additional discount on certain items. Drop by their website, good-adv.com. That's good-adv.com. Now we're going to go back to Will and Kate's story about their adventure going from Australia to England, and we're just about to head into China. But you weren't traveling super fast. I mean, you did 21,000 kilometers in five months. It's, what, 4,000? It's 1,000 a week. Um, yeah. So it's it's not all that quick. You know, it's not like no. you're racing through the areas, but I guess no, you no, just no. you had your destination and you just sort of keep plugging away towards that. That's right. Yeah. 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 Well, one of the one of the challenges, because by the time we were in um, Penang in Malaysia, we had to make our mind up about this, um, which way we were going, because we still didn't know how we were going to get through. Uh, we didn't have, we had kind of had some Iranian visas waiting in the wings with an agency, but we hadn't pushed the button on that. And uh, we were still a bit worried about this Pakistan situation. So um, we decided to do the China or apply for the, um, up the Karakoram and um, into China. But they give a, uh, you have to have put a fixed date. It's not like a normal visa, which is, will run from, you know, a month from date of arrival. Uh, it's a specific date. So I had to count forward weeks and we guessed, I think it was like May the 26th or something. That will be the day that we will be at that border. And it's mm-hmm. like day, day specific. If you're not there on that day, it's that, that visa and all your permits are useless. Or oh, you can't even come in afterwards. No, no, no. It's, it's day specific that you get there. It's, it's like the gate opens for you and you got to be there and you weren't, so you missed yeah. it. Yeah, it would have been nice yeah. when we got there if the gate was actually open. That was a bit frustrating because mm-hmm. their computer systems were down. We spent quite a bit of effort to get there on that day and, <laughs> and it was actually shut. How about that for irony? <laughs> but you did get in and, and what, what did you have to do? You have to have a, a guide for that? Yeah. Yeah, he's, a guide is a funny word. It's, it's a sh- he's a chaperone. Um, chaperone really he was at the border helped us fill in the paperwork thank god and um that was all a bit crazy and then we had to pay for his car and his what his driver because he didn't drive um but people talk about and they but they just sped off he just said i'll see you and um we found him a couple of hours later at a cafe he kind of flagged us down as we were riding along but um so guide he's not like a bloke show you know showing you around all the sites and everything um, the first night he came to us, he came with us to a restaurant and uh, he looked a bit uncomfortable. And I said, look, you you don't have to be here making small talk with us. <laughs> yeah, like we're, we're fine on our own. And he went, OK, I'll see you at seven o'clock in reception. And he and he left. Look, brilliant. <laughs> It was much better. It's it's interesting you say he didn't drive. That that's what he told you. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I don't, can you know. imagine a guy that has a job like that that doesn't drive? That doesn't really make a lot of sense, does yeah, it? No, it well, lots no. of things over there don't make a lot of sense. <laughs> I don't like having your petrol t- uh, tank filled up from a kettle. Uh, but there you go. Um, <laughs> that's another story. They um, and people talk about the China thing about it being so expensive. It's certainly much more expensive than countries where you don't need the guide and all the permits but we considered i think it was something like two thousand dollars between us for a week um and that included all the car and the guide and the driver and everything and our hotels and uh, you think well okay it's still much more expensive than say yeah backpacking around southeast asia of course it is but yeah what price if we'd been caught 
you know, abducted in Balochistan and were, you know, tied up down some manky hole somewhere, we'd be looking at each other and going, $2,000? Is, is it? Is this worth $2,000? Yeah, like, so, yeah, what price do you put on that? So we, we, we were okay with that kind of money. It's what people spend on a package holiday in a week, really, and sit, sitting on a sun lounger drinking pina coladas. And you got to experience it, which which had to be amazing. Uh, yeah, Karakoram yeah. up there was uh, fantastic. One of the highlight of the trip, really. When you first set out on the bikes, um, it's a brand new thing for you. You hadn't done a trip like this before, had you? No, no, no. So you first set out on the bikes. You um, you you were heading across Australia. When did it really strike you that that is this, this is a completely different way of travel? Like, when did it really throw you off? Uh, I think about when we got to a town where we hadn't been before. Yeah, we we'd gone around the outside of Australia and a little bit into the middle. I travelled a bit there for work and been to one of these country towns we were in. And the next day we were heading on to somewhere where we'd never been before. And because all the trips, I've done quite a few uh, adventure ride trips in Australia with mates or with you know, blokes off, men off the internet, if you know what I mean. And um, they... Um, no, I, I don't know what you mean there. No, I, I explain. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you go off into the bushes with strange men. I get that it. Type, that type of trip. And um, they... You've always in your mind, you kind of, it's a circular route and you're going to be back and you kind of like, you've got three days, five days, seven days, but you're always kind of recalculating your distance. And this one, after a few days, you're, hang on, yeah, yeah, actually we're not going back. And that house that we live in, we don't live in it anymore. And it does take a few days for it to to sink in. And then you think, and then in a few days time, we're going to be, you know, shipping the bikes to Singapore and, oh, never done that before. And it, it really does start to... um or probably because we re- organized it yeah, relatively quickly, probably about a two month period. Um, it hadn't taken, it hadn't turned into a big monster. You know, sometimes they go stale before you've even, well, like with jobs, my projects and work, when you're a year in the planning, you're sick of the thing before, by the time the event comes, it's like, thank God, I actually get it over and done with. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm bored of thinking about it. But this was all still we're kind of making it up on the road, so it's good, good and fresh and exciting. So, what was the first real bizarre thing that you ran into? Can I can I slight? Oh, uh, there was the the kangaroo in the pub in Australia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't see that every day. (laughs) Um, The emu at a petrol station. Oh, where we met the girl who'd ridden out. We'd been Kate had been following her blog and an English couple, and they'd ridden out on a GS. And by chance, yeah, we'd pull up and, yeah, we're yeah, looking like... It was just in the middle of the outback, just, uh, you know, one of those roadhouses in the middle of the outback and pull up on our bikes and get off to uh, to fill them up. And this this young girl walks out and she starts talking to us and she's got an English accent, so we were talking to her and she, she said, oh, I did this last year. You know, we rode, myself and my boyfriend rode out last year from England to to Australia and it all kind of started to sound very familiar and I thought oh I know who you are I've been reading your blog for the last six months <laughs> so that was yeah that was very bizarre but but nice uh, and I think then the biggest um culture shock of the whole trip I would say uh, came soon after that was um flying from yeah. Darwin into um into Bali and Indonesia that was yeah so you get off the um Darwin's a pretty cool outback town, 
Um, but it's still Australia is very controlled, lots of infrastructure and rules and regulations. And then you land and you're in the taxi heading to your guest house, uh, just with all the scooters and the craziness. And we, we'd been we'd backpacked in Southeast Asia before, so we kind of knew knew about that, but kind of forgot that it was about to happen. Like within three hours out of Australia, is like you're into craziness, and that was uh, that was pretty in your face. Especially since you've been in Australia for 12 years. I mean, you had to fall into the rhythm of the, of the country and, and get very used to that. Yeah, we'd yeah. we done a couple of Southeast Asia trips over those 12 years, but you kind of, I just hadn't hadn't thought that that's where we were going because you were kind of a little bit buried in our trip, I guess, and the planning and in our self, self-obsessed, as it were. And then it's like, oh yeah, when you let, you're just, you're in this craziness and uh then, then the next day you're in this craziness on, on your bike. And that was even weirder. You took a Suzuki DR650, Will, you rode that. And Kate, you were riding the Yamaha XT250. Um, what did you do to prep those bikes to go on the trip? Um, well, basically with mine, we had uh, racks made for it. Can't really buy much. We, uh, there's a couple of companies in the States do stuff. But by the time you've bought it and then shipped it, it was mad so I just got it made in in australia by a local another man i met off the internet <laughs> <laughs> um and i don't think there was really anything much more done to it was it made a little screen oh yeah. one thing that transforms that xt is um you go up one yeah. tooth on the front i can't remember what it yeah from whatever to go one mm. tooth bigger yeah and, get, um, get away from that low first gear Oh, yeah. it's so low. It, turned, it was like a clown's bike yeah. Uh, yeah, before. And then suddenly t- it turned into a little dirt bike rather than a, uh, like it felt like a kid's bike Yeah, before that. It's so, so slow and so low geared. And even the difference between first and second. I mean, first you can't even get away from the intersection hardly and then you're shifting to, to second before you've even yeah. got going. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That, yeah, that really, for $15 or something, that really um, transformed that bike. Uh, I made a little bash plate for it. And so the racks and yeah. a little... Stuck per- an air hawk seat on it, make it slightly more comfortable. Slightly. Slightly. Yeah. <laughs> and um, my DR, I mean, how long have we got, uh, Jim? Because I had uh, I just about everything. <laughs> I went through, when I got that bike, I went ADV rider uh, DR thread then, I think was 640 pages long. And I went through every single one of them, and, uh, oh, wow. and I, I knew everything there was. So to you know did about all the mods that everybody everything. talks about, including everything. a, a thirty-two liter safari tank, which I saw in there, which I thought was kind of ironic because you've got this thirty-two liter tank on your six hundred and fifty, and the XT two hundred and fifty has comes with what a six ounce tank. Yeah, yeah. well, that was handy because yeah. it was it was like yeah. the super tanker. We could pull yeah. the pipe off and um, <laughs> and put it onto the other one, but, which we uh, did uh, several times. Several yeah. times, yeah. But uh, yeah, I had the bash plate, the exhaust, the uprated suspension, the I don't know, bars, risers, a, a, a fairing which I got from that was on a job in Dubai actually. I picked that up from a uh, it was an XR six hundred and fifty um, desert race rally fairing, and I thought that'd be that'll fit. And I've uh, spent a bit of time and um, MacGyvered it up, as the Aussies say, and. Um, put that on the bike. So yeah, we had just about everything on that one. Yeah. They still watch that show MacGyver. <laughs> They're very behind over there, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> so what was next? What sort of things did you run into? Tell me some stories of the road. Ooh. I mean, one funny one we had in uh, Thailand, uh, we were chucking it down with rain, absolutely hammering it. And uh, we pulled over un- under a little, God, no bus shelter or something. 
And um, while we were there, we'd, I got the Lonely Planet guidebook out. We're trying to remember the name of you know, the, some guest houses and trying to kind of understand the map a bit of where we'd be getting into in the next hour or so. And then the rain kind of died down. Right, let's go. And um, went to start the bike and it wouldn't start. And, um, you know, I'm fairly um, okay with the bike mechanics. And uh, suddenly you, you, know, you think, shit, yeah, we're in, in the middle of Thailand. Uh, we don't know where we are. I've got limited tools. Uh, what's going on? Uh, and you go into a little panic mode. And I realized then I'd been, I never used the kill switch on the handlebars. I just turned it off with a key. And I'd been laying, kind of re- leaning forward while I'd been reading a book and I'd switched it off, uh, the kill switch. That's why, I'd, that's all, that's all it, I know, yeah, that's all it was. And, so it's um, a momentary panic and you find yeah, out it's Yeah, and uh, just keep it real and, uh, and and work your way through it and, and there it was. Um, I think when we were, we were in India and, and due to, to cross into Pakistan in, in about a week's time, and uh, we were sitting in a guest house watching the news and on came um, the news that Osama bin Laden had just been shot. And we were like, oh, my God, you know, how can we even think about going into Pakistan when this is all, you know, happening? Everything's just going off over there. We thought this is just going to be way too dangerous and that's it. The whole trip's off. We're going to have to ship back and, you know, it's all over. So, um but anyway, we just kind of moulded over over the next few days and continued to watch the news and sort of became a bit more, bit more comfortable with it, and um, and decided that we we really didn't want to to backtrack. We didn't want to go back through India, having just struggled through it. <laughs> um, so we just thought oh, we're just going to keep going and and see what happens. And yeah, but I that was just I couldn't believe that had, that had happened just when we were due to cross in. It was, uh, yeah. Well, Kate, you were a new rider and you're heading out onto this massive adventure. I mean, it's one thing to deal with the fact you're riding in different countries and in ridiculous traffic and with all those pressures. Yeah. But but being a new rider, when did it sort of click with you? Like, you must have been terrified when you got to Asia. I was, yeah. So was I. <laughs> Stop it, yeah, Will. I'm not talking first... about you. <laughs> <laughs> that first... Um when we first got back on the bikes in, in Asia, it was actually in Malaysia. And um, we were just dumped uh, in the middle of this highway and we had to do a U-turn and, and head off. And there were mo- thousands of mopeds just screaming all around us. And I did, I did this U-turn in the road and I thought, oh my God, this I, I'm a, I just was wobbling everywhere. I thought I'm going to drop the bike. This is it. This is going to be the end of the trip. And, Anyway, I just, you know, got swept along by the all the other bikes that are around and, and got into it, got into my rhythm and thought, okay, this is it. I can, I can do this. And I think because everyone else is just, you know, there's no real rules or regulations. You just have to, to get on with it. So, And it just made me feel a bit more comfortable, really, I think. What do you mean? Because it was chaotic? Because it was chaotic, I didn't have to worry about following the rules. You know, like in Australia, you just uh, constantly, what's my speed? Uh, am I indicating? And you don't have to think about any of that stuff. You just you just get on and ride and and go with the flow. When so, did you find that you were you were comfortable with it? It must have been probably a day where you're riding along and thinking, you know what? I'm not worried anymore. I'm just riding yeah, automatically. I think probably i mean going through australia that was all pretty straightforward very big open roads no traffic um and we were just you know 
just going as as fast as we could basically through there um and then getting into into asia i think probably yeah when we reached thailand i just thought and i and i hadn't dropped the bike yet i thought my god i can't believe that and it was i thought i was sure to have dropped it about 10 times already by then but i hadn't dropped it i thought okay i, I can do this it's uh it's coming together and i yeah i don't know i just i just learned on the road i suppose and one day you're not worried about it anymore. One day you find yeah. yourself just throwing a leg over and it's no problem. That's it. Exactly. How yeah. far into the trip was that, do you think? Um, I don't think it was that that far into the trip. Probably a matter of weeks, two, three weeks. We uh, taught, we cut your pee plate off there in Australia for the first year after oh, yeah. you passed. You have to have a pee, like a provisional plate to show you're a um, novice uh, rider or driver. And we cut that off in... Um, that was about three or four days in when I got yeah. that puncture, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. We were kind of standing around with nothing to do, so we ceremoniously uh, got the Leatherman out and cut that off. <laughs> um, I think it's all the other bits that fall into place as well because you, you've got so many things that you're thinking about. Um, you had a navigation. You, know, you took a map. You, you bought a map. You typically got that, but you don't know if it's any good until you get there, whether it actually shows all the roads or shows them correctly. And uh, have, is our estimate of money for that country gonna, all right? And as those things over the probably only takes two or three days, though that all settles down. And then the, I don't know, the riding is, um, we we avoided as many big cities as possible. So I think probably the riding's all, it's just like riding country, yeah. flowing country roads. It's not actually that much to worry about. Yeah, the odd chicken running out here or there or a, yeah. a bullet cart, but. Then the loose, loose you know, you get uh, the, the rougher roads as we got into to Pakistan and, and going up the Karakoram Highway, they're definitely rougher roads and, you know, gravel and, and stuff to contend with. Um, and I, I'd done a little bit of off-road, but not very much oh, at about all. two hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think being on that, that little bike as well, it, that, that bike gave me a lot of confidence. It was, um, it was a great little bike. It's light. I could, you know, touch the ground. Um, yeah, it just just felt good. It felt like it, it it carried me through. It looked after me. What did you do for accommodations? Guest houses most of the way. Um, we camped all through Australia, but into Asia, all through Asia, we just uh, we just guest houses. It's ten dollars a night. It's yeah. just not worth doing anything. Or well, there's a lot that you can't. There isn't anywhere to camp. Yeah, I mean, you can probably wild camp, but it's not um, or bush camp, whatever you call it, whichever country you come from. But there's. It's just not, you know, you want something, you want a shower, you want something to eat and everything. So you go to a town and the guest houses are just there. It's just a no brainer, really. $10 for both of you? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. tough to, tough to pass that up. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yes. Why, yeah. why would you? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a bit of a, um, I got that jury's still out on, you know, soft luggage, hard luggage. But one of the things to think about is if you're ever going to do a trip like through that, those, uh, the guest house regions, is you've still got to carry enough gear with you for when you're not in a guest house. So you've got your cooker, you've got your tent, you've got your sleeping bag, and you have to unload the bike every night. Well, you have to, but we chose to because, you know, the soft bags will be probably be gone in the morning if you don't. And, you, you know, like after a full day's riding and then you're lugging all your gear up, like, yeah, seven flights of stairs or something like that up to a little room is, um, whereas we, we met some people later on in um in russia i think it was mm. and they had you know bmws with a big hard luggage we get to a hotel there and they just click open one of the bag uh, boxes uh 
bring out a shoulder bag with everything for the night and walk in leave everything else on the bike you think yeah we're struggling in with you know like look looking like pack horses because you're <laughs> having to def- unstrap everything and unhook yeah. everything right yeah it's definitely something to consider because when I, I was i'd missed that in my in the planning um because all the stuff in australia had been you camping and you camping right next to the bike so you can have all your little bolt on goodies and strapped on bag here and there's something else there and you, it's fine because it stays on the bike until you get back and then you're in your garage and you unload it and put it back on the shelf but um every night having to take it all off is uh, a, a a pain what kind of money did you spend on your trip to to cover you from from where you started to where you ended <laughs> i just been looking through um it's, it's it's an interesting one um I can't believe it. It's actually, it was actually was $34,000. I only just read this. It sort of reminded me uh, between two of us for five months. But uh, 20000 of that was on food and accommodation. Oh, my so, God. You guys ate a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's, we were very it, hungry. Very hungry. <laughs> yeah. And um, so, but I, I say, um, if, when you go into your salesman uh, pitch, you have to you need a roof over your head and something to eat and drink everywhere. As long if you're presuming you're not in prison, uh, you have to pay for that. And um, so I can't charge that in inverted commas. Don't charge that to the trip because you need that wherever you are, whatever you're doing. So then you're only left with the balance and it cut a long story short. It worked out as something like 25 pounds a day each. Mm. Uh, for the visas, the fuel, the sort of running repairs on the bikes and stuff like that. So um, a lot of the budget will depend on your personal situation. If you're, because we'd sold our house, we sold everything. So there was no, nothing running. No, the meter wasn't running anywhere else. It was just what we were doing as that was the only outgoing. Whereas if you go off, say, on a three-month trip somewhere and you leave your car sitting outside your house so all the road tax and the, all your, 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 the bills, all your other stuff, which is all just dripping away. Um, I mean, add that up, probably to do nothing, to sit at home on your sofa all day might cost you £100 a day, $100 a day, yeah, depending on your mortgage, your bills, your uh, all your taxes. Um, so sometimes if, if you get it right and sell everything up, travelling can be pretty damn cheap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's, it's to each his own, isn't it? I mean, you know, some people go on the really cheap where they're surviving on nothing yeah. and they'll eat uh, noodles for, for meals. But it's just, it's all to, to what you're into. I, I don't think there's any set amount, you know, there's no, no set thing. We don't, um, we're a bit old for um, for all that scrimping around and some of the places that, um, I know Nathan Millwood's book, we use that as a bit of a, a guide. And yeah, like some of the places, because he, um, we had, we were actually, bizarrely reading that while we were riding across Australia, trying to glean information. I'd scribbled down a few notes and we got into, I can't remember, it was Delhi or somewhere, and we went to look at the place he'd stayed at. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> I need to meet this guy one day. <laughs> you like, you stayed? You stayed there? <laughs> like, it's just disgusting. And uh, I have met him and we have, we've had a good laugh about it. So, um, yeah, no, we, we're we not, we don't flash it around, but we don't, um, yeah, we have a decent meal and uh, and, a, and a clean bed. For sure, you left from a, a place called Wollongong. <laughs> not not bad, Jim. Not bad. Yeah, Wollongong. Yeah, Wollongong. 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 
Wollongong, of course. Yeah, you got it. Yes. You got it. Wollongong. <laughs> and it's because it's spelt wrong as well, isn't it? It looks like Wollongong. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah, they, they do that quite a lot over there just to keep, just to make you feel uh, an outsider. <laughs> <laughs> Wollongong was about 20 minutes from where we lived in Australia. And Woolwich was, um, well, we didn't know where exactly we were going to in England when we got back, but I was born there and brought up a few miles from there. So um, Wollongong to Woolwich was the name of our blog, um, which didn't seem particularly important at the time. We just wanted something silly and catchy. But then um, when we went on to then write the book of the same title was um is yeah i wish i'd chosen something else it's, it's ridiculous I'm trying to spell it out for people every time i, ca- I can't actually tell you how to spell it uh, well, we give out the website it. of course on this and this is wollongong to woolwich.co.uk so yeah i mean this yeah. is going to be a googler or check the show notes for sure yeah but yeah. then particularly it's will wilkins written wollongong to woolwich i mean it just couldn't <laughs> be couldn't, couldn't be more ridiculous <laughs> i hadn't thought of that that's yeah, great i had i had plenty of time <laughs> <laughs> so what other adventures did you run into on your travels oh it's some good ones and bad ones we were stuck at the border of some mix-up with paperwork uh, this, I don't know, we quite never really got to the bottom of it, but when we came into Kyrgyzstan or something, we should, again, we didn't research any of this because we had weren't going that way. We hadn't made our mind up, but we were going that way before we left. So we had no Lonely Planet books, no decent maps of the area or anything. And um, apparently we were supposed to fill in some form when we en- entered Kyrgyzstan. We found that out as we were exiting Kazakhstan, which is about 4,000 kilometres away or something. And uh, we were stuck at the border for 14 hours, which doesn't sound too bad when you sit here on the comfort of your sofa. But at the time, it was pretty horrendous. Um, I guess especially when you really don't know what's happening and how long it's you're going to be. Yeah, it's, it's, somebody said, if somebody said you're going to be here for 14 hours, you go, okay. Mm-hmm. But you just don't know what's happening. And then um, we got spun a bit of a yarn and um, we got our hopes up and then that fell through. And then, yeah, we felt... It was some despair was setting in there. Um, we were stuck in no man's land. We basically uh, had been stamped out of Kazakhstan and and Russia wouldn't let us in. So we were just stuck in that bit in the middle. Nobody wanted to help us. And we just thought, oh, my God, this is it. This is our lives. We're going to be here forever. <laughs> I did actually contemplate running the gate and uh, getting arrested. And, um, yeah, and, you know, basically you knew it would be a painful process, but at some point the embassies would have got involved and it would have fixed it up because we could actually thought we're just this, I don't know what, I don't know what's going to happen. We're just, we didn't have any decent amount of food with us or water because we weren't, yeah, we were just, just another border cross and we thought we'd be through, through in a couple of hours. And um, yeah, it was feeling a little bit desperate, uh, but it all, it all sorted itself out in the end, yeah. like everything always does. <laughs> How did it sort itself out though? Did somebody come and help you? The Russians helped us in the end. Yeah, they got somebody. They managed to get a um, a translator basically on the phone, so that that helped things a bit. And um, and they went back to the Kazakhstani border uh, and talked to to them to make them understand what was going on and what they because they needed to get something faxed across from Kyrgyzstan to Kazakhstan, (laughs) some bit of paper. So in the end, yeah, they managed to get it through to 
to the Kazakhstanis that they needed to to help us. Uh, th- I think it was for the bikes. I don't even. I, I still don't know. It was all in Russian. We we knew it was something was happening after about ten or twelve hours or something when the um, the guy came out. Uh, he had a copy of our registration documents and he started asking, yeah, which um, which is the engine number, which is the chassis number, because he couldn't read. Oh, he could see the numbers, but he couldn't see. Yeah, he couldn't read our uh, Latin script. So um, we thought, oh, okay, something's actually happened. These are sensible questions now. Something is happening rather than um, just nothing, nothing. All we just sat by the side of the road getting eaten alive by swarms of mosquitoes and beginning to get cold and just feeling pretty miserable. So first lesson, I guess, is when we go and do border crossing, make sure we have extra food and water just in case we get stuck in no man's land. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, surely you learned that from that, didn't you? (laughs) Surely. 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 Um, Do you know, the thing is, even if you um, research um, border crossings, there'll be... um, what the the somebody else's account won't necessarily work for you for what you need to do because they might be on a different passport and the regulations for that passport will be different for yours or whether are they on a carnet aren't they on a carnet or that kind of stuff so um you just have to approach those border crossings with a bit of a um uh, a sort of pinch of salt and um, and a smile and hope that your paperwork is in order we've been helped into kyrgyzstan i think by a couple of russian backpackers young lads, which was the right result because we were pre- presented with a form to fill in. We had no idea what to write anywhere. And um, they helped us. But somebody just didn't put the you know, two and two together that we needed something for the bikes as well. So that's something slipped through the net. That was all. You said at one point, I think in the book, that um, at, uh, at times you thought you'd bitten off more than you can chew. Mm. Yeah. When was that? Uh, no, none of them. No, it's 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 useless um, tr- sort of telling you a situation because it won't sound um, anything. Yeah, you, know, you think oh, if I explain it, go, oh, is that it? Kind of, oh, that's okay, isn't it? But when you like, it's the general grind and exhaustion of day after day of moving on, which you know, our um, our chosen schedule didn't help with that. But then you just when you start getting a bit ratty with each other because you're um, you're hot and you're tired and you're feeling horrible, your guts are maybe playing up, uh, you're a bit lost, you know, the sweat's just dribbling down inside your helmet. You've asked four people directions and they've all given you a different answer and it's beginning to get dark and, 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 and you just think, oh, man, why did we do this? Why did we do this? this you know, what of, what, why did we put ourselves in this situation? And yeah, they're, they're, it's just that, but it's nothing. If I, um, I could trump them up and make them sound more excited than they really were, but it's not, it's just the, just the grind of it, really. It doesn't sound so bad. I don't know what your problem was with it. (laughs) (laughs) Right on cue, Jim. Nice one. (laughs) You know, but that is the thing. And and so how how do you get past that? Does it just all of a sudden fade away? I mean, I I think that's what happens with a lot of us when we get into that situation. Everybody's done it before. Like you say, sometimes you can't nail it down. It's not one thing. It's a whole bunch of things that start weighing on you. And often a mindset, I guess, you know, that you get into at a certain point. But did you always find the morning or, or, or after a period of time you were good to go again? Yeah, I think it's just taking it a day at a time and um and try trying not to take offense, I guess, when the other gets cranky with you. You just 
think all well, you know, we're both in the in the same situation. We just had to to deal with it and um, and move on. But yeah, these things never lasted more than a day, really. The, the yeah, the well, bad feelings, the bad times. One um, piece of advice, if I'm allowed to give advice to anybody, uh, or I'll give, certainly give my opinion, um, is don't ever undertake a trip anything like this unless both of you are equally enthusiastic on the, of the idea. Because if one of you's the driver and the other one, yeah, is the driver in inverted commas and the other one's kind of doesn't really want to go, they, they don't share the enthusiasm, then that person who's driving it, when something goes wrong and it will go wrong at some point, whatever it may be, that person who has instigated the trip is going to pay big time. <laughs> and um, you need to be look at each other and go, well, look, come on. We, we, we both knew this was going to be difficult. And um, yesterday was my day and today's your day. And yeah, kind of it's, a lot of it's down to drinking lots of water and mm. and eating because it's the, just the basic fundamentals. If you start getting your head starts pounding and um, you start getting dehydrated, you start I, you, you get hangry and um, that's it. The, the things it doesn't take much to um, to tip you over the edge if you're feeling a bit um, a bit off off kilter in the first place. And you can't shelter each other from it, can you? You know, it's the type of thing when you're there, you both have to deal with it. Yeah, you do. Yeah, well, yeah. probably if one of your guts is uh, feeling funny, the other person's guts probably aren't feeling 100%. If you, one of you's stinking hot, the, the other one's stinking hot. So it's, uh, yeah, you just have to... Um, and you're... With two of you there, you know, your, your wife is also like your mate forever and you be here with and you, you've got no one else to release. You can't um, you can't have a bit of a whinge about the other person because the only other person listening to you is the other person. <laughs> what did you learn? What did you learn not to do? <laughs> Win, whinge to the other person. <laughs> did you? Yeah, no. You did. <laughs> I still not learned that. <laughs> Um, no, I don't know. Nothing. Didn't learn anything. <laughs> is the trip sort of like like wine? You know, the the farther you get from when it was made, the better it is. No. no, no. The trip was great. The trip was great in the planning. The trip was great on it. The the reliving it is great. All 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 great. All, <laughs> it, all, it, tough times when you're doing it. No doubt about it. Um, but. The whole as experience as a whole, um, yeah, fantastic. I recommend. I wouldn't say I recommend it to anyone. I don't think it is for for everyone. Um, but we loved it. I'm looking at Kate. She, <laughs> yeah, yeah, she she's not. It, she's yeah. she's nodding. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we loved it. It's uh, it definitely tests um, tests relationships. That's Big for time, sure. Yeah. If you, yeah, if you again, if you're ever thinking of doing anything uh, like this with someone uh, who you're not. Uh, very used to spending all your time with then i'll again recommend that you spend some decent amount of time not just sitting in a pub um planning it and being excited about your trip and um talking about yeah what luggage you're going to use it's um, actually go out and spend some time even as simple as uh, wander into a town where you've never been before and decide where you're going to eat yeah just something like that because you know, people have it's amazing that the uh, you think you're on the same uh, bandwidth with someone else and then suddenly they're off on a complete tangent but me and Kate have we've done you know quite a few trips like this now and um you know since this uh, Wollongong to Woolwich we've done yeah, a few more and um 
it's amazing how uh, in in tune with each other we are, um, and I think that's uh, that's really important. Um, and everyone to, handles stress differently, don't they? I mean, so you, you're not yep. you, you're not yeah. both going to handle. And if you're not prepared to deal with that other person and the way they handle stress, be it you know whether they're the type that's very calm or, or the type that gets very excited, that just yeah. adds to the whole thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There's um, yep. Yeah. We could do um, we can get this the uh, psychiatrist's couch out on this one. Spend <laughs> hours on it. It's uh, yeah, it's a uh, com- complicated little subject. So, so, how did you guys handle stress? Mm. Personality-wise, I mean, which one was freaking out and which one was calm? Uh, well, well, I don't know. He freaks out, but he gets very, um, yeah, gets very uptight about about things, um, which in turn makes me uptight. I get uptight with him getting uptight about stuff. Mm. <laughs> but I, I kind of, I see it, I feel it, and I vent it. And but Kate bottles it up. Yeah, and then. So I think she's fine, um, but then it actually she's turns not. out that she's not. <laughs> changing the subject slightly, the, those um, we had intercom bike to bike Bluetooth intercoms, and um, I tell you what, get them if you're ever going to do a trip uh, because they um, just that simple thing of uh, I've done a couple of trips since uh, with mates, just easy ones, just a few days around Europe, you know, five days down to the Alps type thing. And uh, that is just frustrating in its own. You can't talk to each other. And at least, um, well, some people think it was a benefit that you couldn't talk to each other. But I, uh, you know, when you're navigating through cities and trying to um, decide where you're going or where you're stopping, just to be able to talk to each other, even if you don't want to talk to each other, sometimes you have to. Uh, yeah, there's things you got to sort out, um, you know, like directions and um things like that and even if you're in a bad mood with each other you still have to a bit like being at work with somebody you might think someone's um, um you might not think that greatly of them but you still need to function and um that we went for a, a, a some of that uh, while, while we were traveling and uh, intercoms are fantastic for that well there's three great tips to both be into the trip equally know the person very well you're going with and then the intercoms do you have any others at the back of the book um I, I i worded it i certainly i don't want to tell people how to do stuff because everyone's trips different everyone's got their own opinion it's a help section yes yeah, an a to z of tips and tricks of what what i said ha- not how to do it how we did it you can then mm. you don't have to yeah you can take as much of that as you want to and um, because what i've had been frustrated with other people's um books and blogs is um you're halfway through you know they're riding up some mountain uh, talking about the view, and then they start talking about which chain. They're so glad they put the 525 um, DID chain on rather than the rental such and such. It's like, well, hang on, we're, we're, are we on the view? And then they turn into an amateur tourist guide and history of the country and stuff. So I, I kept our book very um, straight, kind of just diary form, really. And then all the bike prep and all the technical stuff is in the back. We talk about what tyres were used and why, talk about what luggage and uh, what stove we carried, that kind of stuff. It's all keep away from the story so you can enjoy the story or read the tips. But uh, they don't kind of, I uh, hope they don't sort of trip over each other uh, as you as you work your way through the book. Was your cover photo inspired by anyone? The cover photo was from the highlight of the trip, really, was crossing that lake um, where the Karakoram Highway has been flooded because um, of a big landslide. And that was 
key that we got across that stretch of water. Otherwise, uh, the, the logistics would have been horrendous, a load of backtracking back down into India or whatever. It just would have been a nightmare. So that was um, it was stunning to look at. And it was it was fantastic to, to do it. The sense of achievement going across there and the wildness of Pakistan and uh, just just all that. It was just, yeah, it makes my um, hairs on the back of my neck. Uh, stand up now it was it was fan- it was just uh, uh, unbelievable was this a ferry or did you have to arrange a ride uh, there enterprising pakistanis have taken some old fishing boats up there and they go backs and forwards but um as a foot passenger no problem and all the trucks carrying all the gear gets handballed off the trucks and onto these boats and off at the other end and um, we were well other people had done it um, before and uh, certainly people have done it since but um, it's, all the police checks as you go up and down the Karakoram you could, you have to sign in oh, God knows how many probably signed 20 times on a, in a thousand kilometres as you go in and out of the different provinces and there's not many uh, Westerners going up there and um, that was the sense of adventure going up there not only with that scenery and all those massive mountains and all the rough road and everything but the fact that there were just a handful of, uh, of people going up there over the last month or so uh that felt pretty pretty wild and um they probably fleeced us um and good luck to them the the guys and what they charge us to um to take the bikes yeah good on them uh, it was any they could have charged us 10 times and it still would have been way cheaper and way easier than anything any of uh, other options on the table so i don't have a problem paying people um when you if you're in a bit of a jam, <laughs> great, just just pay. It's a like hundred dollars. It's like yeah, whoopie doo da. If that is is that is that go, go your hardest. If that if that if that's what keeps you happy, it certainly keeps me happy. Well, it looks like quite a crossing too. Twenty three kilometers, I think that that lake is, and um, yeah, that was that was wild. The um, the cover uh, artwork, Paul Smith from ADV Moto was uh, what what a guy, and he. Um, he he saw the book. I sent it to it to the magazine, and he um, he contacted me, and they reworked the um, the cover photography and redid the artwork and went through the book and um, tweaked it around and uh, Americanized it um, quite a lot. And then I un-Americanized it and uh, we had to do a glossary of terms for things like what cronky means because <laughs> apparently Americans don't know what cronky means. <laughs> so was this before it was published? You sent it to ADV Moto. No, no, I, I self-published and um, and I sent a few to different magazines and uh, ADV Moto um, said, oh, this looks good and we actually, we think we can help you with this and try and, it was via Jupiter's Travellers. Um, basically, uh, they said they'll kind of give it a bit of a rev, uh, a diamond in the rough, I think Paul said, and um, they tried to, uh, yeah, you just polish it up a bit, which is uh, a really, really good of them, yeah, really good. Will, Kate, it's been fantastic speaking with you. It's been great fun. Thank you very much. Thank you. And that's Will Wilkins and Kate McDonnell, and you can find out more about them by visiting their website, wollongongtowoolwich.co.uk. And of course, you don't know how to spell that. I don't expect you to. They also have a book called Wollongong to Woolwich, 
a long ride home, well, you might want to go by our show notes to look for a link. It's going to save you a lot of work. You can try and Google it too. I mean, after all, how many names can there be like that for a book? Wollongonga Woolwich by Will Wilkins and Kate McDonald. Anyway, drop by our show notes at our website, www.adventureriderradio.com, and you can find a link to that and also some photographs from their adventure, including uh, the one about the uh, the kangaroo in the pub. That's true. I mean, he just sort of threw that out there, but there's a photograph proving it. There's a kangaroo in the pub in Australia. Who knew? This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, serving adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll need a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and will inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, and get this, it comes with a lifetime warranty. It's the pump we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Visit them at CyclePump.com. That's CyclePump.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our co-producer, Elizabeth Martin, as well as you, the listener. And uh, hey, if you like what we're doing, you want to keep it free, drop by our website and consider clicking on the donate button. Send us a donation, anything you want, but anything $10 and above is going to get you a gift sent back to you. We're going to do that as a way of showing our appreciation. Now, I'm going to remind you again to check out the other show that we do, ARR Raw. You're going to love it. I really think so because the feedback we've been getting has been really, really good. We have a roundtable discussions where we talk about certain topics as we go through. It's a lot of fun. It's interesting, totally unscripted. You never know what's going to happen. We have Grant Johnson from Horizons Unlimited as a regular co-host, as well as Sam Manicom, Graham Field, Shirley Hardy Ricks, and Brian Ricks and myself. It's a lot of fun. We do it once a month, and you need to subscribe separately. So drop by our website and click on the Raw button, or you can go to iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts from and uh, just look up ARR Raw. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Hola, mi nombre es Alicia y estás escuchando Adventure Rider Radio.